Well, God is good, isn't he, all the time. And I hope that you've all had a wonderful holiday and you are refreshed, some of you are tanned. Yes, not as good as mine, but, and cost more. <laughs> but I hope you're all in good spirits. It's my honor and privilege just to share with you this, this morning and this bank holiday as it were weekend. Now, last week, uh, Chris Birch Evans spoke. He did a great job. And if you weren't here last week, as I always ask, where were you? Some of you on holiday, I know. <laughs> However, you want to listen to that podcast. But one of the things he said and considered was this, a mega statement. My worth is equal to my performance and what others think I'm good at. My worth is equal to my performance and what others think I'm good at. And he said that he read it out to teachers and they were all nodding. And he said, that's not true. See, because what we're going, to, we're going to do, we're going to look at how Jesus, at the outset of his ministry, had to deal with this wrong belief, which basically says this, I am what I do, performance, I am what others think, popularity, and I am what I have, possessions. So that we see afresh that we, like Jesus, need to find our affirmation from above, which is the title of this message. So come with me now to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Read with me. Then Jesus, well, let me give you a chance. If you've got your Bible, obviously you can open it. If I go straight into it, you're like, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know, the car's going down the road. We haven't got in there yet. So if you've got your electronic device, if you have the, uh, the word in paper form, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4, 1 to 10. Okay, here we go. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That's Psalm 91. Jesus said to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So there we have it. So let's look at the first of those three things that I gave you. I am what I do, performance. Let's just look now at Matthew 4, 1 and 4. Then Jesus said, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Most of you will say, well, of course he was. Well, actually, if you fast for a long time, you lose your appetite. It's like his appetite came back. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what we see here, the enemy is challenging his identity by tempting him to perform, therefore demonstrate that he is the son of God. I always remember what Robert Dawkins said, that the major challenge that we have is that the enemy will come to challenge our identity. Jesus, at this point, is totally unknown. He has, he's been 30 years in obscurity. He's just been a carpenter. And what you need to understand is that Jesus, there's lots of other Jesuses about. Jesus, Jesus, is like Smith in the English language. There are lots of them. So you need to get that. There were lots of his Jesus, but he wasn't the only one. He didn't walk around with a halo over his head off the ground with blue eyes and brown blonde hair. He just looked like everybody else. He's unknown. He hasn't made any contribution to the then world. He seemed, in many eyes, like a loser. Nobody actually believed in him. You see, the same thing can be said of our culture when people think about us. You know, what have you achieved? What contribution have you made? What do you do? We consider ourselves kind of successful if we performed well in work or school or family or church or relationships. You know, my parents came over from the West Indies in 1956, 57. My dad, last week, celebrated 80 years. And usually what he will say and says well, because he's a follower of Jesus, is that in 1956, 57, when he came over, he had nothing. Now, you know, four children, six grandchildren. He saw his granddaughter, that's my daughter, get married a couple of weeks ago, and that was a real honor to be able to officiate her marriage. So God has blessed him. You know, he's, he's known God's goodness. And in one respect, he could say he's successful. But you know, performing well, having good relationships in church and, relations, in, and, and in, in our relations, our family, doesn't mean that we're being successful. Now, you see, the issue is if you don't have a successful family life. If your family life is dysfunctional, which is most of us, you know, we've all got a measures of dysfunctionality in our family. Yeah, see, I got one on this person. Bless your heart, Tracy. What happens when we feel we're not measuring up? What happens when we feel that we're not successful? Sometimes, you know, it, it can trigger feelings of worthlessness even depression. You see, this is how it works. See, if you have been brought up in a family where you were not affirmed, <clears throat> where you were not encouraged, where you were not nurtured, and then you now 
work your way through life and you get married and you hope that the person that you marry is going to affirm you, then you find out that they're as broken as you are. And, you know, I'll use the example. For instance, now, you know that your sense of worth comes out of achieving. And then you marry your partner and he or she likes the house tidy when they come home. And if it's not, then he gets grumpy. So you feel now that, well, I've got all these things to do, and, but, and how can I have time to do this? And what actually happens is it's tapping into something far deeper than just that the house is untidy. You feel that you're not measuring up. Now, this causes strife, marital strife. And the temptation is to try to deal with the strife when the issue is your sense of being is being undermined because it's reminding you of what's been happening in your life. (laughs) Peter Skizzerod puts it like, um, Peter Skizzerod, that boy who wrote Emotionally Healthy Intelligence, he put it like this. You get what we call an emotional allergy, an intense reaction to something in the past that reminds us consciously or unconsciously of the event from our history. And we heard the prophetic word that the past is in the past because God wants to do a new thing. But what happens is that situation comes up and we feel negative about ourselves and we begin to, and we find it echoes feelings of rejection, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of worthlessness, feelings that lead to depression. Even though it's, it, the surface issue is about tidying the house. Hello? We feel that we don't measure up. Well, how does Jesus respond to this whole issue of performance? Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' sense of worth and value was not based on performance, but on the word of affirmation spoken over him by his heavenly father at his baptism. What did it say? Matthew three seventeen. a voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Now, why is that statement important? It's said before Jesus has healed the sick, before he has raised the dead, before he has turned water into wine, before he has done any of the works of power, Father affirms him for who he is. Our sense of worth and value as a follower of Jesus does not come from performance. It comes from the Father's declaration over us. This is my son, Dennis. This is my daughter, Tracy. This is my son, Peter. Not born of the will of man or of blood, but born of God. We must find our worth and value in God's unconditional love for us in Christ. And that is counterintuitive and that is counterculture. Our culture says that you perform. Our culture says that you demonstrate. Our culture says that you, I'm not saying that you shouldn't add value, that's a different thing. And if you don't perform, then you don't receive affirmation. Father says, no, you're affirmed because of where you were born. You were born from above. 
You're born not a will of man of blood. You're anointed and appointed because, of, because I chose you before the foundation of the earth that you might be holy and blameless before me in love. I had a plan for your life. And you're my son. And you're my daughter because you're born from above. Okay, let's look at our second point. I am what others think, popularity. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan invites Jesus to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple so that people will believe that he is the son of God. At this point, no one knows anything about Jesus. He's invisible. He may not even have any worth or value to society because he's unknown. Now it's funny, isn't it, about popularity? Because many of us place a higher premium on what others think than what we realize. You see, <laughs> have you ever been speaking to someone and they ask you what's going on and you, you do what I call selective input? You think, hmm, I, just, I don't think I will tell them that. I will tell them this. <laughs> Never. You know, particularly if it's someone who's a position of authority over you or someone that you respect or honor, you do selective input. Or out, you know, you see, okay, I will tell them this because they want to hear that. I know none of you have never done this, but we all do. You see, this can lead to us living our lives through others. If you're a, um, you know, you're a parent, particularly uh, if you're a mum, you, 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 if you have children, you want to nurture them. And I find it very interesting when my daughter comes back home. You know, she, now she's married, but she's been living away for many times, many years. Eileen will go into what I call super nurture mode. <laughs> do you want this? Do you want this? Can you have this? Do you want this? Da 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 da. And I see Rachel, you know, she'll take it for a while and then she says, Stop! I don't need this. So when she leaves, you know, the house, she's heavily laden with good things. <laughs> you know, food and cake and all of these things in a bag of this and that. And it's like Rachel comes, she gets food, love, and then now she's had enough of the super nurture, she leaves. <laughs> Thank goodness she doesn't need money. But <laughs> that's not true. But <laughs> you know, those of you who've got older children, you know you always need to help them. So the reality is that when being popular means that sometimes we don't speak the truth. Someone hurts us, and, be, and we don't actually say, well, you know what, that wasn't very helpful. Especially if it's a pastor. <laughs> right? But we don't. So we go away. <laughs> but we don't have the courage, because we don't want to be rejected. Our sense of worth is somehow increased when we are complimented by someone who we like or someone who is respected. And if that person happens to criticize us, we go into a major sulk. I know none of you do this. However, how did Jesus respond? 
Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, put your trust in him. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you need to know this well. Psalm 139 verse 14. One of my life verses. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And every good thing comes from him. Because true freedom is when we no longer need to be someone special in other people's eyes. Why? Because we know that we are lovable and good enough and we hear those words spoken over us again. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. A heavenly father who loves us and gives us his full attention. So we know that we are loved and valued by him and thus we have the inner strength to say no or to do his will, even if it means we're going to be unpopular. And that's a growth thing because the culture wants you to be popular. The culture wants you to compromise. The culture wants you to, to play along. Here's Jesus. He says to Peter, the first pope of the church, who am I? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Simon by Jonah, the flesh of battle has not revealed this to you, but God in heaven has revealed this to you. A few verses down now in Matthew 16, Paul, Jesus says, look, you know what's going to happen? I'm gonna, the, the Pharisees are going to take me. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to rise from the dead. And this is Peter, the first pope of the church, says, surely, Lord, this will not happen. And this is what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan, for you are considering man's interests, not God's. See, Jesus had the inner strength. He wasn't interested in being popular. He was interested in doing the will of God. And because he was secure in God's love, he could even rebuke the first pope of the church. Metaphorically speaking. So, our third point. I am what I have, possessions. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is taken to see all the magnificence and power of the earth and offers, and of course, and offers it to him if he will bow down and worship him. You know, this is almost the same temptation that Satan brought to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, what do you mean? Well, he said, if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. But it was a lie because Adam and Eve were like God. Adam and Eve already had authority. Read it there in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. God had already given them dominion. He comes to Jesus to say and shows him all this stuff. But what you need to understand, Jesus already had the power. 
He already had the magnificence. He had it before the foundation of the earth. Look at John 17, 6. He says, the glory that I had from eternity. Satan was trying to offer him something that he already had, but he didn't fall for it. Because Jesus already had the power and the authority. He gave it up to come down to see us. Our culture measures our success and thus our worth by what we own. Now, am I saying to you that you shouldn't have a nice car and have a nice house and have nice holidays? No, that's not what we're saying. See, the goal of the marketeers that's in our society is to seduce us into thinking that we have to have the latest iPhone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I always remember when my son got the kind of the latest kind of um, video game, and it, when he got it, it was... <laughs> yeah? Some of us are into gadgets. It's not wrong, right? But it doesn't define who you are. You know, or house, or wife, or education, or qualifications. This is not the measure of our worth. So how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We were designed to worship God and to enjoy him forever, the old Westminster confessional says. As the one who is what? Our provider. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. David said, Everything comes from you, and I give you that which is your own. Whatever you have, whether it be possessions, it all comes from the Father. You know what the key thing is for here, friends? Hold them lightly. Hold them lightly. They are not a, so if you lose them, it does not define you. You know, we live in St. Albans here. It's an affluent city. People have things. People go to the city to work. They have nice lives. They have nice cars and a home. But that, those things don't define you. We need to hear the same words over us that Jesus heard that meant he lived in and out of the unconditional love of the Father who says what? I said it three times now. That you are my son. You are my daughter. I have your attention. Whom I love, I have his affection. With whom I am well pleased, I have his affirmation. Apart from anything I do, or what other, whatever other people think of me. You see, the danger is, you see, when you love people, you know, we're in a relationship here, you know, the leadership team, and we can, you know, get fixated on receiving the affirmation from our senior pastor, but the pastor says to me, no, 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 no. Or our friends, no, your affirmation comes from me. Why? Because sometimes, and let me put it like this, when you are living in the roles that we have to play, you say, what do you mean by this? Well, sometimes you're a father, sometimes you're a mother, if you are, obviously. You know, sometimes you're a business person. Sometimes these are all roles that we have to play. But here's the point. If you stay in the role, you will always fail. 
Because affirmation in those roles is, is generally dependent on performance, isn't it? Are you always going to be the great dad? Are you always going to be a great mum? Are you always going to be a great employee? Are you always? No, at some point you will fail. And if you don't know deep in your heart that you are loved, not on the basis of your performance or your role or your qualifications, but you realize that you are loved because you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, you've been born from above, you've been appointed, you've been anointed, you've been chosen before the foundation of the earth in him to be holy and blameless. If you know it deep in your heart and the love of God is empowering your heart and you know what it is to be held by him, even when you are not good, even when you're doing stuff that's sinful, Jesus still loves you and when you begin to know that you run to him and you're less concerned about the affirmation of those around you because you know your identity the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is that the enemy will always seek to tempt us to find our affirmation in popularity in our possessions and he will always seek and our performance. My culture, family of origin, ethnicity, and flesh tell me that only possessions and talent and applause from other people are sufficient for security. That is a lie. You know, we've dressed it up and talking about values of belief. No, these are lies. Jesus models surrender of my will to the unconditional love of the Father as the true anchor of who I am. Which means I'm affirmed from above. Isn't that good news? Whatever you do, Wherever you're from, if this morning you are a follower of Jesus, you're affirmed from above. And the lies that the enemy speaks into your ears when you don't perform, you need to reject them in the name of Jesus. Some of you need to repent of them because those lies, you're living them out. But you see, I want to say something to you this morning. God is well pleased with you. He knows the circumstances of your life. Band, if you could come up, please. He knows the circumstances of your life. And as John said, even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. You are his boy. You are his daughter. You belong to him. You're affirmed from above. Please stand. You know, we need to repent of the lie. My worth is equal to my performance and what others think I'm good at. We've all been infected by that. We need to repent of that. And friends, the first word, how do you say, how does this work? Well, the first thing is that you need to confess that you have been looking to popularity, to possessions, to the wrong things, performance as a means of affirmation. You say, well, how do you know this? 
if you compare yourself with others, you are into performance. If you compare yourself with others, you're into performance. Friends, we need to come to God and we need to repent, that is, confess first that we have been looking to the wrong things for our affirmation. And what God's plan is that by the power of his Holy Spirit, as we make confession of these things before him, as we experience his grace and mercy, the love of God is, I like this version, shed abroad, poured out like an elixir in our hearts. So we learn to stop, we learn to be, and we learn to bring these things to the cross and leave them there and allow God to love us, allow God to hold us, and allow God to affirm us. Should we pray? Father, thank you that you're a good, good father. Thank you, Lord, that you are not looking down on us here and judging us because of our failure to be all the things that other people want us to be. Father, thank you that your goal for us is that we learn to be sons and daughters who know deep in our hearts that we are beloved, that know deep in our hearts that we're affirmed, that we know deep in our hearts we know your affection, we know your attention, and we know deep in our hearts that you're the one that stands up for us our Heavenly Father, who loves us unconditionally. We bless your name.